Before we begin, again, let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the marvelous way that you work throughout your creation, through your creation, and your care for us. Bless us as we study in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to take a brief look at God's marvelous creation and how he operates and relates to the works of his hands. His work is so orderly that we, as Christians, call his way of working the laws of nature. But God is not bound nor limited by the laws he has established. He delights in working outside the box. Then we will also look at his greatest creation in the universe, which is the creation, recreation, and redemption of lost sinners. Our verse for today, um, Numbers 23, 23, the last part says, What hath God wrought, or some of the more modern translations, Oh, what God has done. Well, you might remember that that was the very first telegraph message sent in 1844 from Washington, D.C. to Baltimore, Maryland, over wire. So this was the first, you might say, electromagnetic transmission of a message uh, on a telegraph. And, of course, that was a tap, 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 you know, the dots and the dashes. And, then, of course, it had to be converted to dots and dashes and then translated on the other side back into, back into English. And uh, they were very excited when, the, when it worked. And uh, the message that they sent, what hath God wrought? The founders of our country, the people involved, uh, even further back in, in the uh, beginning of the modern age, the discoveries of science, uh, the great leaders, the great inventors, most of them truly believed with all their hearts in God and believed what they were discovering was discovering how to find his thoughts, to find his way of working, um, and that they truly believed that because God was a God of order, that we could discover how he works in nature. Now, today, of course, uh, most scientists don't give God any credit, and most of them don't believe in, in, <coughs> in, uh, in God at all. Uh, Galileo, of course, an Italian scientist and scholar, and invented the telescope. And uh, he supported the Copernican theory. Copernican was the um, Polish astronomer who made this radical discovery that the Earth is not the center of the universe, but rather the Earth is here and I mean goes around the sun. And, of course, we're part of a, of, a, of a little galaxy, but we are part of a, a small group of planets. But they're all going around the sun. And Galileo, of course, could see that with his telescope, that see these other planets and realize that our Earth was not the center of the universe. Well, that was against the theology of Rome. And so Galileo got into a lot of trouble. Uh, for stating what he believed and what he had seen. Um, and, uh, but even though he was, quote, forced to recant, under his breath, he said, but I still believe it. You know, what he had, what he had discovered. <laughs> uh, 
And what he also said was, the universe is a grand book which cannot be read unless one first learns to comprehend the language and become familiar with its characters in which it is composed. That's interesting, his, his wording, because Galileo was also, also a musician. Um, and what Galileo said and was discovering, as others were discovering, that the language of the universe is mathematics. In fact, modern scientists now believe that the existence of the universe uh, or is as the result or is literally the outworking of a series of very eloquent equations. And I read a fascinating article some years ago, Popular Mechanics, on this very theme. And they were talking, wow, and it's a very limited, a very small number of great equations which you know, explains the, the operation of, of the universe and the physics. And, of course, it's uh, mathematical equations. And I, I was enjoying the article as I was going further into the article, and I'm getting all the way to the end. But they never asked the most important question, who wrote the equations? Never got there in that article. But I understand that secretly about half of the modern scientists, or particularly physicists and mathematicians, secretly believe in God, but they're afraid to tell anybody. They're afraid to be ridiculed. And for many people, they just put it out of their mind. They're unwilling, in spite of the overwhelming evidence of the order of the, of the universe, of its marvelous complexity and detail, they're not interested in asking the question, who? Who did all this? Who wrote the equations? Who made all this possible? I was listening on the radio some years ago, uh, probably to, which I don't listen to anymore, PBS, um, and uh, they were interviewing a professional singer who apparently sang every Christmas with some great choir and orchestra, and, of course, they would do Handel's Messiah. And this lady said, oh, it's magnificent music. That's why I'm here, to sing it. But she said, I do not know what the words mean, and I'm not interested in finding out. Whoa. Unfortunately, that's the, the um, thinking of far too many people today uh, who believe, apparently, that they're smarter than God. Interesting, some interesting comments uh, in the spirit of prophecy. God is the governor of the universe, He's put everything under law, in other words, operating under law. Everything in the natural word is under law, from the tiniest flower in the garden to the mighty cedars of Lebanon. The beasts of the fields obey God's law. And in a moment, we'll go a little deeper in the Bible, how God's creation, all of it, except for stubborn man, obey him. The ocean obeys the mandate, hitherto shalt thou come and no further here thy proud waves shall be stayed. Um, and also, uh, some people have proposed the idea, in fact, many people, that the laws of nature are fixed. And this apparently was believed even before the flood. That once a law is fixed, it can't be changed. Um, and 
in, so, in the essence, and many people believe that somehow the universe got wound up and, and now it's going. Of course, they don't ask the question who wound it up. Um, but Nehemiah uh, speaks of the works that were finished on the foundation of the word world. Hebrews 4.3, uh, you know, speaks of God's creation. Um, in, mo- in whom we live and move and have our being, and that's also in Acts uh, 17.28. But the comment here from Spirit of Prophecy is that God's energy is still exerted in upholding the objects of his creation. It's not because the mechanism once set in motion continues to act by its own inherent energy that pulse beats and the breath follows breath. But every breath, every pulsation is an evidence of the all-pervading care of him and whom we live and move and have our being. In fact, Isaiah talks about God bringing out the stars. He brings out their host by number and calleth them all by name. Um, and literally, it's through God's power that vegetation grows. Um, since I married Beverly and becoming much better acquainted with gardening, uh, why I, I've been so amazed by the power of the seed. Man cannot make anything happen and grow from itself like a seed does. The seed is actually the basis of of you might say life on earth made it, making it possible and the fact that there's a built-in multiplication factor because without that we'd all be starving but the fact that a seed can grow and then multiply that's the power of God man cannot do that it's amazing um, what we can learn when we look we're going to look at some uh, some excerpts from the Bible, and um, these excerpts are all going to be about God's creation, particularly God's animals. Said uh, in in uh, Genesis chapter seven, said on the very same day that Noah and his, Noah's sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of the sons entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind, all the cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after his kind, and every bird after his kind, and every bird of his sort entered the ark. That must have been an amazing parade to see all of these creatures going into the ark. And the Bible says that the clean uh, were by sevens and the unclean uh, two by two. Um, and if you could just imagine that process and I believe that they were led by an angel in God's direction because here you think of all the animals, domesticated, wild. Can you imagine seven chickens walking behind two wolves, you know, <laughs> going into the ark? Uh, you know, but yet God had given them some tranquility uh, and so that they could actually go in and then be in the ark and can you imagine being in a floating zoo for a year? Um, obviously, God's work was all throughout this whole process, uh, especially uh, with the animals. Years ago, I had somebody work for us that was frightened of animals, terribly frightened. I mean, he just, he was a big fellow. 
wanted to go into a police academy, but he was frightened of animals. Uh, there was a bird that would sit on the roof right behind our office store that it was a roadrunner. And one of his jobs was supposed to have been to take out the trash, and he wouldn't do it because he's afraid that roadrunner is going to come down and get him. And um, so I finally said, here's the solution. You've got to overcome this. So I think you, get a, you need to get a job as a night watchman at a zoo. And so, <laughs> unfortunately, he didn't. Uh, but you just think of how God was communicating with all these creatures. And then in Exodus 23, which is a, um, it said that God was telling what, what he would do for Israel as they would go in to conquer the land. And he said, I will send the hornets before you. And uh, I've never had good communications with the hornets. Uh, but God knows how to communicate with his creation. And he was going to use the hornets to, to drive out the, uh, the Canaanites. And then our, a little longer story that we'll take some time on, and that's Numbers 22, if you'd like to turn to that. Um, and this is the story of Balaam and his donkey. And so then Balaam answered and said to the servants, beginning with verse, I think, 18, of Balak. Now, Balak was the king of Moab, and he was worried about all these millions of people coming out of Egypt. And um, he wanted um, Balaam, of course, to come and curse them because he had heard that Balaam had powers. Well, Balaam had actually been a true prophet of the Lord at one point, but um, not anymore. And so... Balaam said, though Balak were to give me a house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the, the word of the Lord my God. Well, I personally think that Balaam started thinking about the house full of silver and gold. He said, wow, what a wonderful missionary I could be if I could, you know, have lots of silver and gold. So God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if the men... Come to you and call, rise up and go with him, but only the word which I speak you shall do. So he got up and saddled his donkey and went with them. But then God's anger was roused against him, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way of the adversary against him, and he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants with him, and the donkey saw the angel of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Balaam didn't see the angel until later, but the donkey did. And uh, standing in the way of the Lord, now it's capitalized, so I presume this was, was, was Jesus, the angel, the angel of the covenant, standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey, donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So the donkey realized he was to go no further. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back into the road, and the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow pathway between the vineyards and a wall on this side and a wall on that side, and when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck her again. It's amazing what animals can see. Obviously, this was a very special supernatural occasion, but there are many things that animals can see or sense that, w that we don't. Absolutely. And uh, then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in the narrow place where there was no way to turn on the right hand or left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. Balaam's anger was aroused, and he struck the donkey with his staff. So the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, 
and said to Balaam, What have I done to you? I wonder what that sounded like, what accent. <laughs> what, have, what have I done to you? That you struck me these three times? And you know, Balaam didn't even react. He just entered his conversation with the, with the donkey. Um, he said, Because you've abused me, mocked me, I wish there was a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. Of course, this is a magician fellow now, supposed to have all magical powers. And, uh, so the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey in which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? In other words, I've been a good donkey. Why are you beating me? And the un- unspoken comment was, Maybe I've got a reason for doing what I just did. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. I saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with a sword drawn in his hand. And he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I came out to stand against you. Your way is perverse. The donkey saw me and turned aside me these three times from me. If she had not turned aside, surely I would have killed you by now and let her live. When God reacts and interacts with his creation, and particularly on this planet, he always does it for a purpose. And as we'll see, that purpose obviously is to reach people. Uh, But he does it in an interesting way. God delights in in working outside the box. Then in 1 Samuel 6 is another interesting story um, about how God used animals. And uh, this was the story of the Ark of the Covenant had been taken into battle, which was against the law. And because the Israelites at that time thought that somehow this was some sort of good luck charm. And if they went into battle, they would frighten away the enemy and it would be all over. Of course, it didn't work that way. And the Ark ended up being captured and taken. And... um, but, of course, as we know from the Bible story that in 1 Samuel 6, that this caused a lot of trouble. Wherever the Philistines took it, it caused trouble. Um, and, in fact, at one point when they put it in their temple, they thought, well, surely we can honor it. Well, their great god Dagon, which is probably made out of stone, by morning, he was bowed down, broken, before the Ark of God. Um, and they said, okay, what are we going to do? How do what, you know, we've got to get this thing back. But we don't want to take it back. We've got to send it back because otherwise we're, we're going to be in trouble. And so they're discussing this and said one to another, why then do you, in verse 6, do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts when he did mighty things among them and did not let his people go? So I said, we don't, we don't want to be that stubborn. Uh, now, therefore, make a new cart, take two milk cows which have never been yoked, Hitch the cows to the cart and take their calves home away from them. Set the ark of the Lord on it, uh, take it and set it on it, and put the articles of gold which they were sending back as a trespass offering, and then send it away and let it go and watch. And if it goes up to the road, you know, back to Israel, to its own territory, to Beth Shemesh, then he has done us this great evil. But if not, we shall know that it was not his hand that struck us, it was by chance. Then the men did so. And they took the two milk cows, hitched them to the cart, shut up their calves at home, 
And they set the ark of the Lord on the cart uh, along with these trespass offering. And then the cows headed straight back to Beth Shemesh, went along the road lowing as they went and did not turn to the right hand or to the set to the left, and the lords of the Philistines went after him up until the border. So this was a test to find out if this was just a coincidence, all these accidents that were happening, bad things were happening, or if the God of Israel was involved. And so they take two cows which had never been yoked. Anybody that knows with cattle, you know that's a process. They don't like it the first time, probably don't like it the second time or the third time. Um, and then these are cows with calves. Separate them, and then watch what happens. Normally, of course, the mama cows would go home back to the calves. But instead, obviously led by an angel, um, and they go right back to, to Israel. Um, so God, again, communicating through animals, hopefully to reach the hearts of the people. In the First Kings seventeen four, uh, was the story of Elijah, and he had just announced to the king that there would be no rain or dew for three years, and he'd been told to go and hide, and uh, so he was told to go to a particular place where there was water, and there in verse four of chapter seventeen it says. It will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I've commanded the ravens to feed you. Now, ravens, which, of course, part of the crow family, they are really, really smart birds. I mean, very smart. I know I told a children's story a while back about how smart they found out that crows and ravens and their whole family uh, really is. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing what they can figure out, what they can learn, um, in fact, I think I remember sharing with the kids, but some of you perhaps weren't there that day, that it's been observed just recently that uh, ravens in some edge of some town, I guess, along a highway, they had found nuts which were in the shell and apparently too hard for them to crack with their beaks. So they dropped them out on the road, waited for the cars to go over them, which, of course, would crack the shells. And then when the cars passed over them, the ravens would come and, and, and take the, the meat of the, of the nuts home. Pretty smart. Um, it's amazing. But here, God says, I've commanded the ravens to feed you. And so for a period of time, the ravens found food. Now, I doubt that the food they brought was the food the ravens usually eat. Um, I have a theory that maybe they went to Ahab's palace and got the food every day from there and, and brought it or from somewhere else where food was being prepared. And, um, and the other thing amazing about this is that once a raven gets food, he doesn't want to let go. He's going to eat it. He's not going to let go. And here they're voluntarily finding food and then delivering it and letting it go. Um, amazing how God works, but not surprising because obviously he's in charge of his creation. And in uh, the book of Jonah, another animal story, and it says the Lord had prepared, chapter 1, verse 17, 
a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish, I told the whale, three days and three nights. And then verse 10 of chapter 2, it said, The Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah into dry land. Now, I don't know how the Lord spoke. Uh, normally, whales don't come up to beaches. Um, the Lord could have spoken and also given or made the whale very seasick for a few moments because it says, he, you know, he vomited Jonah right up where he needed to be. Um, and again, God using his creation, trying to reach his people, to work with people. Then in the New Testament, uh, in Mark 4, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over, Jesus speaking, to the other side, and when they left the multitude, he took them along in the boat where he was. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. And he was in the stern, asleep on the pillow. And they woke up and said, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. That particular miracle prior to, of course, the resurrection was apparently the one that really got their attention because these were fishermen, most of them. They had spent their life on the water. And to see this happen, and in fact, they reacted as they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be? Even the wind and the sea obey. And later in Luke, when the uh, Pharisees were rebuking Christ because the people were shouting Hosanna to the highest, to the son of David and all of that, there and just before the crucifixion. And they said, can't you make these people be quiet? And Jesus said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would cry out. Amazing. And again, as we said, God the Father through Christ always relates to his creation for a purpose, to reach hearts. And I want to share a story, which I'm going to read part of it, and then we'll have a a brief, uh, very short um, video afterwards about what God is doing in his marvelous work of recreation uh, in the Philippines. And I want to share uh, part of what's happening. This is all happening very, very recently. Um, <coughs> our uh, president of the General Conference went over and was invited to meet with the uh, president of the Philippines and um, because of what was happening, the work that had been done there uh, on the islands, particularly of the island of Mindoro, um, with Adventist World Radio in particular. And when our president went to meet with the president of the Philippines, uh, by special invitation, uh, his security detail of the Philippine president asked that they shouldn't check out Elder Wilson and those with him. And the president of the country said, not necessary. These are Seventh-day Adventists. <laughs> well, here's why they were there. Um, the, uh, this Pastor Dulé, which was worked as a representative for Adventist World Radio in the Philippines, uh, back in 2018, had gotten uh, an invitation 
He'd come home one day, and there was a group of men waiting for him. And the story they told was beyond belief. They were communist guerrillas in the Philippines known as the New People's Army, NPA. And um, for more than 50 years, the NPA had been fighting to overthrow the Philippine government. And they had been involved in the assassination of more than 30 to 40,000 people. These rebels would hide deep in the jungles and come out from the mountains only to fight and kill, armed to the teeth with AK-47s. They'd been, for the most part, assassins their whole lives. But what had happened is that they had been beaming Admiral's World Radio into those mountain areas in the language of the, of the dialects of the people in that area. And what had happened, that now these men all t- told the same story. They said they'd been listening to the radio messages. They wanted to surrender their lives to Jesus and be baptized. Could somebody please come and help them? And, of course, they were delighted, too. They lost no time organizing. They would travel to the mountains with medical supplies, food, radios, solar-powered God pods, and a Bible recorded in the native tongue. And the villages were hidden so deep in the mountains that uh, some had to travel by helicopter. Others would come in, um, <coughs> I guess, by jeep and maybe uh, with animals carrying um, thousands of pounds of supplies to, to be able to help them. Time of great rejoicing. But the amazing part is even if the military of the Philippines, the government military, was now involved, they saw hope to finally ending these hostilities. But there was more. One by one, the top communist generals from the NPA, the guerrilla fighters, (coughs) sorry, had been moved by God to give up their AK-47s and surrender. Uh, They now wanted to follow Jesus. (coughs) And so they longed for peace. But they also not only wanted to be right with God, but they wanted to be right with their government country they lived in. And so they were asking Adventist World Radio to help them negotiate a surrender to the Philippine government. (coughs) I'm sorry. And so by negotiation with the government, what was agreed to do that Adventist World Radio would give each of these families $500 to try to start a new life, the government was going to give them uh, 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 an acre of land and um, to be able to start to to grow gardens, to raise livestock, to start a little business and to to begin to settle down. And so they had the special time when they would come back down out of the mountains to actually be baptized. Um, And they they came down and it's an amazing story as as you'll see here. The joy of these people being baptized is they also would weep over the fact that they had spent their lives killing people. Uh, but yet God could forgive them for what they had done and wanted to, and the government offered amnesty. Now, governments don't usually offer amnesty to assassins. But the government said, yes, we will, if you'll partner with us, we will offer amnesty, we'll provide land, you're helping them get started with a little bit of the money, the $500. And the government is now asked, because nothing else had ever worked on, on getting this war stopped, 
They want Adventist World Radio, Adventist Church, to work with the government and the rest of these areas where there's a lot of problems in the Philippines to do again what's actually happening now. Okay, let's watch this short video. Greetings, friends. I'm Dr. Dwayne McKee, president of Adventist World Radio. Thrilling, exciting things are happening right here. I'm sitting next to the South China Sea. This is Mindoro. This is where it's happening. It's been happening for five years. Rebels and their families have given their lives to Jesus. The war is ending after 50 years, 40,000 people dead. Go with me to a swimming pool. This has never happened before, but there are former rebels with their families being baptized. Our lives are being changed. What an exciting time to be alive. Greetings, my friends. This is Dr. Dwayne McKee from Adventist World Radio. It is so exciting to be here. We're right here with the baptism. This is Cal Martin, who is the general uh, of the former rebels, but actually they have changed their lives. They left the life behind of 18 years for them. But actually, what happened is 50 years ago, Adventist World Radio began, and 50 years ago, communists invaded this beautiful island of Mindoro and took over the mountains. The last 18 years, this couple has led the rebellion, and now Jesus has touched their heart, and things have changed. Pastor July, you have worked so hard in the mountains here with Amazing the rebels. What I am so excited to tell you that the chief of police here told us, he said, for all these years, they have tried to do all kinds of things. They tried to even bribe the rebels. They, they gave them money, they gave them land, they did all kinds of things to help to, to beg them to stop the, this war and to stop shooting at them. And 40,000 people had, had died, and, but it didn't help. Nothing they did, nothing they could do. The police said, the military said, nothing they could do could stop the war until Adventist World Radio Pastor Lai started broadcasting up in the mountains. They were the question of the day. They started responding, and lives were changed when they heard the good news that Jesus is coming again. And they heard about God's grace that they can be forgiven and changed. And so all these rebels, all these hundred, how, how many altogether, Pastor, have been baptized? For them, I guess around 500 for, for their group only. This yeah, yeah. With their families and everybody yes, else, how many? Yes, more than around 15,000 15, since we started. Since, since we started. started. 15,000 have been baptized. The war is coming to an end. Praise God. What? What bullets couldn't do, what machine guns couldn't do, what these gunships couldn't do, God has done by His grace, by broadcasting the good news that Jesus is coming again, the forgiveness of God, and God has forgiven these young people. It's amazing how God has worked through their lives, and they have worked so hard and prayed and prayed and prayed, and God is using them now to do a different ministry. We're working in a very, very wonderful way reaching out to the people in the villages to help them become self-productive, knowing they are forgiven. We are building churches for them. The land has been given by the government. And now as we we help them learn to be productive citizens through different programs that we'll talk about in a different setting, it is thrilling how they learn to be farmers and learn to be businessmen. and, And we are so excited. I like your hat. That's a beautiful hat. Thank you for being a part of Adventist World Radio. Thank you. This is, I, I can never thank my friend who works for AWR, <laughs> Robert July, enough, who has worked so hard. This has been his dream, and he'll continue on his, 
here to finish the work because there are lots more people on this island who are not rebels but who need to know about Jesus. And by God's grace, they'll learn the good news too that Jesus is coming again. And now, as we focus on a different part of the island, there are some other rebels in Mindanao. They are, they are actually very difficult rebels. They capture capture people, they hold them for ransom and do all kinds of bad things. But by God's grace, through Adventist Wood Radio, their lives will be changed too, Robert. Thank Amen. you for your vision and thank you for working for Adventist Wood Radio. Thank you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, what a joy it is to be here together at this wonderful baptism. And the people are singing so wonderfully. This is the live music as more and more are being baptized and giving their hearts to Jesus. Military people, former rebels, people who have given their hearts. It's, it's absolutely incredible as all are working together because of God's grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we stand amazed at your marvelous work, your greatest work in all creation, greatest, most difficult, because it costs so much, the cross of Jesus Christ, to open the way of salvation. For we thankful, Lord, for these amazing transforma transformations that cause the angels in heaven to be amazed. And Lord, by your grace and mercy, may we, each one, continue to trust you, to follow you, to live for Jesus, and to share the good news of salvation. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.